0: Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you at all of our campuses and those of you uh, who are streaming. Uh, It has been a very emotional uh, week this past week leading into a very emotional uh, weekend, and I certainly want to say I am thankful for all of those uh, servicemen and women who have given their lives uh, sacrificially, uh, for our country to enjoy the freedoms that we all enjoy uh, today the freedom to come and worship, the freedom to be wherever you are uh, right now and even stream this service. Uh, but the loss of life these past couple of weeks has not been sacrificial, but senseless. Um, and it's evil in our world and uh, it breaks my heart and I know it breaks yours. Uh, I just want to say two things about that quickly. Uh, uh, first, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, Let that be our cry, he's the only one that can make this world anything close uh, to what he imagined it and made it to be. And uh, second, I want you to know that when you come to one of our campuses, uh, there are teams that are highly trained, and I'm talking multiple people that are highly trained and vigilant about your safety and the safety of your family and children. So uh, just want to say that and want you to know that. Okay. Now, uh, switching, totally switching gears, uh, what a way to start a sermon, I know. Um, But uh, there was a survey done of 1,600 people by a group uh, that put out the Jesus film uh, a few years ago. And uh, they asked uh, these folks that they surveyed, they said, what prevents you from having spiritual conversations with others? What prevents you from having spiritual conversations with others? Uh, I bet that all of you could guess what the number one answer was. I'll give you a multiple choice A, fear. B, fear. C, fear. The top answer was fear people were afraid. They were afraid that they would lose a relationship. Uh, They were afraid that they would uh, basically be rejected just totally even if they didn't know the person. They were afraid of bringing up uh, tension in a conversation or a situation. That was the number one answer. Now one of the surprising uh, findings of this was that was the number one answer but that was only the response, that was the only answer of 22% of the people being the top answer, which tells us that fear isn't only the top answer, but that this other 78 respondents were liars. (laughs) Because we are all afraid to have those spiritual conversations, 100%. You survey 100% of the folks uh, at at our church, and let me say 99% because you might be the outlier. But 99% of the folks, including myself, and the top reason why I am prevented from having spiritual conversations, yes, as a pastor, is I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I am going to make a very uh, pleasant conversation awkward. I'm afraid that uh, I might turn a friend into an enemy, that I might create a, a tension in the relationship, that an open door might turn into a closed door simply by bringing up spiritual matters. I am afraid to have those spiritual conversations, and I think many of us are as well. That means that in order to stand up and have spiritual conversations about the person that is nearest and dearest to my heart, and I know yours as well, we are going to have to stand up to fear. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to cover the the second part of this chapter. We're going to cover a lot. We're going to start in verse 26 and go through the end of the chapter. We're obviously continuing our series, Standing Up, by way of review. Remember, first week we talked about how Jesus was asking his disciples to go and stand up out of compassion... Compassion, because he looked out on the crowds and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this is where he said the fields are ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. So ask the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest field. So we are called to stand up, certainly by conviction, but certainly out of a motivation of compassion for other people because they do not know the good shepherd. That was week one. Week two last week was how the folks there and those who go out will be persecuted. And Jesus started off that whole section by saying, behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst the wolves. That doesn't sound safe. He's sending them out as sheep amidst the wolves, and he tells them that these wolves are going to hate them, they are going to flog them, and they are going to drag them to court. On, by, for the sake of his name, it's on account of his name, not, not because of they, they've mistreated people, but just because they stand for Jesus. And so after Jesus scares the daylights out of his disciples, then he says in verse 26, look at it, so have no fear of them. Just have no fear of them. You see, it's so simple. To get over fear, you just don't have fear. So why is Jesus telling them that at this time? Well, I think the obvious reason is because they're afraid. I think uh, Jesus is probably pretty good at reading his audience and understands that they're uh, fearful of the things that he's just told them. But I think the other reason why he's telling them not to be afraid is because truth is on their side. Look at what he says there in verses 26 and 27. I'm gonna continue that. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, or what he means by that, is what I tell you one on one right here, say it in the light, and what you hear whispered in these conversations, proclaim on the housetops. You see, what Jesus is saying is you don't have to be afraid because truth is on your side and the truth will prevail. The truth will turn out to be true. So therefore, go and proclaim it. Go out into the harvest fields. Even though you're going out as sheep amidst the wolves, don't have any fear because truth is on your side. And who is truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is on their side. And so what that tells me is when truth is on our side as disciples and we're considering standing up, knowing that we know the right things. We know what is true. We know what God says about us and what God says about the world. We know what the the end is. We know the, the destruction and damnation that is in the end for those who don't trust Christ. We know those things that are true. And those things, that, those things will be revealed in that day. So that tells me that truth is on our side so that the only thing that prevents me from standing up is fear. That's it. I'm, I'm, one of the reasons why this has been an emotional week, folks, for me personally, is not just because of the current events that have, that have happened, but because I've spit my week in this passage 24 hours a day thinking about what this means for me and what this means for you. This is a heavy week. This is a heavy sermon. This is a heavy passage. Because we're going to have to get over our fears if we're going to stand up for Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to tell you what three common fears are that get in the way of us standing up for Jesus. But then I want to tell you what Jesus does to, to discount those fears or what he says about those fears. And then I want to give you an application so that we can stand up for Jesus beginning today. And so let's talk about these uh, particular fears. So, so first one, as we work our way through this passage, a standing up for Christ is automatically it's going to elicit a fear of harm. A fear of harm. Now we've talked about this before, but... Um, I know that many folks in the United States don't face a fear of physical harm. Now, if you are aware of anything going on in the world towards Christians, physical harm is a very uh, real thing that happens to people who are persecuted and even martyred for their faith in Jesus. So you may not fear physical harm here in our country, but I think all of us fear a harm to our reputation to our, our livelihood, to our career, to our future. So there's a fear of harm that we all have. And Jesus talks about that in verse 28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body. And when Jesus says, don't fear those, um, who, is he ta- who are those? Those are the wolves that he had just referenced earlier in this chapter. The ones who will hate you, the ones who will flog you, the ones who are going to drag you into court. He said don't fear them because they can only harm the body. They, they, can, they, they can't control, they, can't, uh, they have no impact uh, eternally. He, he compares what they can do doesn't match what God can do. And he says what they can do is temporal. What God can do is eternal. And so don't fear them. And if you're, if you're catching on here, for those of you who read the pastor's desk, one of the most common uh, uh, commandments repeated throughout Scripture is don't fear. He says don't, don't fear Don't fear them because what they can do doesn't compare to what God can do. See, Jesus confronted that fear of harm by illustrating the care of God. He he confronts this by saying, God has a sovereign care over your life. And I love, I just have to point this out because I just love this um, paradox that Jesus has here. Because as as Jesus almost puts on the heavy there of God can control what happens to your soul for eternity. He doesn't bully these disciples into not having fear. He actually shows compassion to them. Look at what he says here in verses 29 and 31. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the knowledge of your father, that is your heavenly father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, Sparrows, during those days, um, those would have been sold, they were actually the cheapest food that you could buy. They were peasant food. And metaphorically speaking, sparrows were spoken of as the smallest Of all creatures. And he's saying, Not even one of the smallest of all creatures is going to fall to the ground without the knowledge of the Heavenly Father. It's this sovereign watch care that God has over every creature. And he takes it and then applies it to human beings, going from creature to feature. And he says, Hey, every hair on your head, God knows about. Now, I know some of you have more than others, but I want you to think about this. Because I actually considered doing this and I gave up. I considered sitting down with my kids and counting the number of hairs on their heads. And you know what stopped me? It's not that I don't care. Do you know how much time that would take? How tedious that would be? But then it got me thinking about God. That how much time does it take for him and how close does he have to get? And how tedious is that for him to count the number of hairs on your head and he knows every one of us that well. He gets that close. He takes that much time. He cares that much that he says, hey, I know what happens to the sparrow and you are more valuable than many sparrows. And so some of you might be saying right now, well, Cody, why does God let happen what happened in Uvalde? Guys, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But I heard a, a wise Christian sage say even this past week, and he said, "Whatever God is up to, Jesus proves He loves me." And I I love that. I I, I don't understand, but I know Jesus loves me. I know Jesus loves you. I know Jesus loves those kids and those families and those teachers. He proves it. You see, he combats, confronts this fear of harm by saying this is not all we have. And I care for you and can take you and make you into something better and take you to a better place. That's what he wants. And so in order for us to stand up for Christ... As we consider how Jesus confronted this fear of harm, what we have to do is fear God more than you fear man. It's that simple. It's hard to apply, but conceptually it's that simple. Fear God more than you fear man. You see, all too often, and I'm gonna I'm gonna preach to myself on this little section, Um, I care more about what people think than what God thinks. And when I care more about what people think, I don't act in the way that God wants me to act. I don't do the things that God wants me to do. And I will say this, when I make decisions in my life because I fear people more than I fear God, it is always a decision I regret. Every time. And sometimes I'm still scared and I still choose to try to please people. But I'm just telling you, I regret those decisions. You see, we can't get into that. We can't get into fearing man more than we fear God. Because when we fear man more and we please him, it's ultimately sacrificing, pleasing God. In fact, Paul says that in Galatians uh, chapter 1. Uh, I believe it's in verse 9 or 10. He says, am I, am I trying to please man? If I try to please man, I cannot please God. I mean, it's either or. I'm living for him or I'm living, I'm living for people or I'm living for God. And in fact, it, there, it is that binary here in this passage. Look at what he says in verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men or mankind or people or in public, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people in public, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, some of your Bibles might use the word instead, instead of uh, acknowledge, it might say confess. All this means is to profess that, that you make it abundantly clear where your allegiance lies. And he says, if you make it clear to everyone else that your allegiance lies with me, then I will make sure to acknowledge you when you stand before my Father. But everyone who doesn't make it clear, who, who shrinks back in the shadows, who, all, who, who don't make it clear and apparent who, they're a, who they are allegiant to then I will deny them before my Father who is in heaven. Now, certainly there are times that I have shrunk back. Praise God, I am saved by grace through faith. It is by grace through faith. But this is, folks, let's be clear. Are we making it abundantly clear who we stand for? Because fearing people and public opinion causes us to shrink back. And we don't stand for him. And one of the verses that I memorized when I first got into full-time vocational ministry is the verse that I put on your sermon notes. It's Proverbs 29, 25. It says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Or the way that I memorized it. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. Every time I fear people, it's a snare. If you fear people and what they think and their opinion constantly, you will always think about it. It will will snare you. It will enslave you. Choose to fear God and God utmost, and you will be set free. I'm serious. You will be set free. Say, I follow him and follow him alone, and it leads to freedom. Fear people. And it will lead to enslavement to their whims, to their emotions, to their opinions. And you're constantly going to be looking over your shoulder, wondering what they're going to say, wondering what they're going to think. And folks, that's no way to live. So we've got to. If we're going to stand up to this fear of harm, even if it's to reputation, image, future, career, whatever that may be, you're still going to have to fear God more than you fear people. Okay, the second area that we fear when we stand up for God, standing up for Christ elicits a fear of alienation, a fear of alienation. When I talked uh, in week one of this series, I talked about some of the nuances of standing up. And one of the ones that I didn't mention in week one was that oftentimes a nuance of standing up means standing alone. That when we stand up for anything, we usually stand up by ourselves. And sometimes it feels like that's going to be the case. That when we stand up for Jesus, we stand up with no one else. No one else is standing by our side. And that's a, that's a real fear because we were made for relationship. And that is a fear that we all have. is because we don't want to stand alone. But Jesus says... Sometimes that's how it feels. Look at what he says in verses 34 through 36. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. These are alarming words. I will explain in just a second. For I have come to set a man against his father and and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And you're like, great. And this is supposed to encourage me to follow Jesus? Um, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Jesus tells the truth. And I've been in ministry long enough and I've followed Jesus long enough to know that this is real. Let me walk through that passage quickly. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. And you say, hold on. Isaiah says that he's the prince of peace. You know, didn't the angels declare him in Luke 2 saying peace on earth and goodwill toward men? Yeah, on whom his favor rests. We forget that part of that passage. That God does bring us peace with him through Jesus. But that message, the good news of Jesus is divisive. And I don't have to go into that. And you know that in our world. And here's the reason why: is because when you say you follow Jesus, you are saying something about everyone else. When I say I follow Jesus, what I'm saying about you is, I believe you are a sinner. And guess what? I was too. And I was a sinner who, who is in need of God's grace, and I'm saved by grace through faith. And guess what? That's what I believe everyone else in our world needs. But we forget that what we say about Jesus says something about somebody else. And guess what? That somebody else knows what we're saying about them. And that causes friction, it causes resentment, it causes division. And that's why he says it's a sword. And that sword that divides, even divides families. You know, I, I grew up in a small town, Texas. I told you that before. And so sometimes you get those kitschy sayings, and one of them is, home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart hurts most when it comes to following Jesus. And we, you see, the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is the human heart. That's what, div- that's what divides us. Because if, if everyone was just humble and understood that they were sinners who were in need of grace, and it's offered by grace through faith through Jesus, then we, all, we could all be on the same page. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen in families. I read one, one commentator who said this. I just thought this was good. The coming of Christ into a house is often the cause of variance between the converted and the unconverted. The more loving the Christian is, the more she may be opposed. Love creates a tender zeal for the salvation of friends and family, and that very zeal frequently calls forth resentment. And it's true. It's the way it is, but it's the way that it hurts the most. You see, it hurts most in the families because the family is the one that's supposed to love us unconditionally. The one that, that, they, they, that, that families will walk through thick and thin through everything that this world could throw at you. But you come to know Christ and some of your family members will not walk with you through that. They just, they just won't. I was talking to a friend uh, this week and... Uh, she was telling me about uh, an 18-year-old girl who just came to know Jesus. And her, sorry, I get choked up at this because she texted her and she said, "Uh, my mom is very mad at me for for trusting Jesus. She said, my mom said, I'm weak-minded and she won't talk to me about it. This message divides daughters and mothers. That's hard. That's hard stuff. So what do we do when we're shunned or shut out by those that are supposed to love us the most? Will we join a community that understands us, that gets us? Because one of the loneliest places for a person is in a family who doesn't understand them, who alienates them. See, Jesus dispels this fear of alienation by creating a community of cross-carriers. The reason why I say cross-carriers is because of what Jesus says in verses 38 and 39. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, when you choose to take up your cross and follow Jesus, that is going to look weird to other people around you. And it's going to cause some people, maybe even your own family, to disavow you, to alienate you, to isolate you, to make you feel very, very lonely. Lonely. And that's why we've got to join with those others who are cross carriers because you're going to feel like you've lost your life. Everything you've known for the past however many years that you've known your family. And you're going to go, I don't understand them. And they're going to go, I don't understand you. And it's a reality of following Jesus. And he says that's why we've got to join this community of cross carriers. Because what makes me feel a little less Crazy when I carry my cross is when I'm carrying it next to somebody else who's carrying their cross. See, let me give you a weird analogy. Um, I don't know if you've ever walked into a, a place, a function, work, it doesn't matter where it is, a restaurant, and you've either felt overdressed or underdressed. You ever felt that way? Okay, what makes you feel overdressed or underdressed? What makes you feel that way is how the majority is dressed. Right? That's what makes you feel weird. You see, when we join a community of cross carriers, the majority is carrying their cross. And so I don't feel overdressed or underdressed. I feel normal. I I understand you. I get what you're living for. I get that when you, when it looks like everybody else is telling you that you are losing your life, you're actually finding it. And that's why we've got to be in community with one another. So develop deep relational connections based on Christ's blood. Please hear me say this, I I, you are all thinking about your very own families right now. And I am in no way trying to put down your, your family. Your, your, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whoever. I don't, you know, God love them. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you the reality is that if you trust in Christ's blood, nobody understands that but those who have trusted in Christ's blood. Those of your own biological blood might not even understand you. And I hate that for them and we're going to pray for them and I'll pray for them alongside you. That one day they might understand you and might get you. Get what you're living for. Because I, I understand they think that they found life. And in the end they're going to lose it. And you're losing your life. What seems like that right now. Because later on, you're going to gain that life. But we find life in community with one another. You see that 18-year-old girl that I just told you about? Who's having a rough patch with her mom right now? You know who is her BFF right now? The girl who led her to Christ. She's found a kinship and a relationship with her that immediately just skyrockets. She feels like she's been known by her forever. And it's so true. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of going on a mission trip. You meet a Christian in another country that you've never met before and you immediately feel like you're related. And there's a joy and there's a fellowship and there's a camaraderie and a depth of relationship That's just unmatched. And you go, How can I feel connected to that person that I literally just met and may never see again? And I go home and I sit around the table at Thanksgiving and I feel like nobody understands me. It's because Christ's blood runs thicker than the biological blood. And so, I'm not saying disavow the biological blood that you have, but I am saying you need to build deep, deep relational connections based on Christ's blood. And then finally, the last fear that we all have, I think, uh, standing up to Christ elicits a fear of insignificance, a fear of insignificance. I think one of the things that always runs through our brain whenever we're thinking about having a spiritual conversation is, we wonder, is it gonna make any difference? Like, is, this, is it really worth it? Like, is it, is, it gonna, is it gonna go anywhere? Is this gonna do anything? And, and we try to, to re- weigh the risk and the rewards. And I, want, I want you to see what Jesus says here in verses 40 and 41. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. Oh, he's sending them out. But certainly a crowd has, has gathered. And a crowd was almost always around Jesus as we see throughout the Gospels. And he says, whoever receives you, disciples, who go out in my name, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. Now what does that mean? What Jesus is saying, disciples, remember he sent them out as, we talked about this in week one, the word was apostle. And that was reserved for those particular ones who spent time with Jesus plus the apostle Paul. But remember, the term apostle just means sent one. And we talked about how we are ambassadors sent to represent Jesus. And so what he's saying is, anyone who receives you as my ambassador ultimately receives me, Jesus. That's what he's telling them. But when you think about this, how does Jesus know who's receiving whom? How does he know this? Who is keeping track of this? Who knows what home they went into, what home they were accepted in. Nobody would be able to keep track of that except God. He's the only one who could keep a record of that. You see, he takes note of every interaction. Everyone that that treats the disciples well and everyone who doesn't. You see, Jesus addressed the fear of insignificance by assuring his disciples of their certain reward. He assured them of their certain reward, that no act was too small, that no act was too insignificant. Look at what he says in verse 42. He says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward that Jesus knows that even if these disciples walk into a house and they are greeted or welcomed hospitably with a a cup of cold water after a long, hard, and hot journey, that the Lord would take note and their reward was certain, and that certain reward was secure. See, no act is too small or insignificant, and he noted that. And when we think that it doesn't make a difference, he tells us, that he notices everything, everything, every act of service does make a difference. So, stand up knowing God never overlooks the smallest deed. You see, if God watches over the sparrows, if he knows the numbers of hairs on our heads, then he notices every act Significant or insignificant, done for his sake and in his name. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is just, he's never going to forget, he's never going to overlook. You see, for us to stand up, we're going to have to stand up to fear. <laughs> we're going to stand up for him. And that will mean standing up to fear of harm. But we're going to fear God more than we fear people. It's going to mean standing up to this fear of alienation. Why? Because we're in a family. The family we call Christ Chapel, but the family of Christ. That we can support one another, love one another and over the f- stand up to the fear of insignificance because we know that every one of those little things makes a difference. It might be a seed that's planted, but God's gonna come along, he's gonna water it, he's gonna water it. He's gonna give it sunlight and it's gonna grow. You see, I'm gonna steal a line here from FDR's inaugural speech in 1933. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And if we will only fear God... Then we'll find that we can overcome the fear of standing up for him. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness to us. That you want us to have not only the right expectations, but the assurance that as you sent out your disciples, you said, Hey, behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That when we stand up and we might feel like we're standing up alone, Lord, you're standing by our side. Lord, you're not asking us to do anything you haven't done yourself. Even when you ask us to carry our cross, Lord, you carried our cross. You were the one that went by yourself. And you've given us a community to be cross carriers together. And so, Lord God, deepen not only our conviction, but deepen our community and what it means to be a disciple. And knit us together as your family so we don't stand alone, but Lord God, we stand as one, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.